0: welcome to nerd vomit. My name is Doug. I'm a nerd and this is my vomit. There's a fair amount on the vomitorium. Let's just dive right into it. First off, uh, I was uh, I'm, I'm remiss that I left something out of last week's recap of the gifted finale. Blink comes back, thought dead two episodes before that, uh, comes back looking more like her comic book counterpoint and uh, saying like we have a place to go and creates a portal. So, hopefully, I mean Blink's one of my favorite characters from the Age of Apocalypse and the X-Men comics, so I really, and the Exiles, how could I forget the Exiles, which is basically Quantum Leap meets X-Men, I highly recommend the Judd Winnick run. Yeah, so I'm excited, I hope they get a third season, just because I I, want to see how that plays out uh, with Blink and where she's been. Speaking of finales, I have beaten Kingdom Hearts 3, I have not completed all of the side missions, gotten all of the, uh, they don't call them trendy marks this time, they call them lucky emblems, I've just discovered the Flantastic 7, yes, those are flans that I have to run around and do stuff with, such as collecting points, being the crap out of things, or taking photos, as is a big thing in the game, because you have a gummy phone, which is effectively an iPhone. Uh, or smartphone, I should say. It shouldn't be that biased, but, you know, I'm an Apple guy, so what are you gonna do? Um, very fitting finale to what they're calling the Dark Seeker Trilogy, uh, involving Riku and Kiri and Sora. And, uh, it kind of wraps up everything with Organization 13 and Xenominort, or whatever his name is, and the time traveling Ansem's and Ansem the Wise, and and everything. It it just it wraps up the whole story uh, line with Sora and Organization 13, both the fake one and the real one, uh, along with all that time travel and the Keyblade wars, and all of that. So, I'm already looking forward to that the um, ending has kind of alluded to kind of a new uh, saga that I don't know what the name is. But it was a very fitting ending to Kingdom Hearts 1, 2, 3, plus all the um, side stuff like Birth by Sleep and the 365 slash 2 days or whatever. Um, I don't know, like I said, I only played Kingdom Hearts 1, 2, and 3 respectively. I got used to the uh, free flow combat mechanics, but I still wasn't a huge fan of it. There's still a few combat mechanics that, you know, kind of, I, I took off the auto-lock-on because it's very confusing. The camera following you on auto-lock-on is kind of ridiculous. Uh, overall, highly enjoyable. Well worth the, like, what was that, 12, 13 years? Wait. Um, hopefully it's less between that and Kingdom Hearts 4? question mark Or whatever the next Kingdom Hearts huge saga is going to be on consoles. But like I said, very fitting ending. Anyone who's played uh, the Kingdom Hearts franchise, whether it's just the main three games like I did, or uh, my friend who's playing through all the games until she gets to three and beats it, I I told her, I said, it's a very, very fitting ending. um, Very emotional. um, But it wraps everything up, which I, you know, there was so much going on across these games. Like I said, with time travel and alternate versions of selves where you have, you know, the Heartless version and the Nobody and the uh, Organization version from uh, the Paradise Cove or wherever they were from, and then they become Nobodies or something. I don't know. It, it's all confusing. And Replicas. They're Replicas, for fuck's sake. So not just, you know. And the Unversed, which is from a different game that I had no idea what was going on. But yeah, I mean, between Replicas and Time Travel and Nobodies, which are like duplicate bodies when someone heart leaves them, um, it was, it's just madness, bonkers, but, uh, I enjoyed it, uh, I am taking a break from doing some of the side missions, uh, and I started playing the, I will say the name of the game is, is very misleading, it's called Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice, um, this game, I talked about it a while ago, I don't know how far back, um, and it's kind of been sitting in my digital library, until I could get to it, it you play this like Viking girl, like it's a lady. Um, it's you know set like in the 900s, it's uh settled way back then in actual Viking times, and you're trying to save the soul of your beloved, which sounds fairly straightforward. They talk to people with schizophrenia, depression, anxiety, they talk to behavioral scientists, um, uh, and neuroscientists, and they basically like, she suffers from very acute mental illness, which, I mean, back then they called the Dark Curse, or whatever. And there's a warning at the beginning of the end that says, like, if you suffer from mental illness, this is a very accurate portrayal that you may not want to play this. And I was like, sure, whatevs, and jumped into it, and it is very uncomfortable. Um at one point she gets like really anxious and starts like scratching herself it's not like incredibly graphic it's not like a Darren Aronofsky you know body horror moment but um I, I I felt it in my soul I was like oh god um I I know what that feels like and her schizophrenia kicks in where like you hear voices and you don't know what's real they're giving you conflicting accounts of what's going on like when you just start hearing voices going you're going the wrong way you're going the wrong And you're like, well, am I going the right way? Am I going the wrong way? Like, can I trust this voice? You literally can't trust anything in the game. You can't trust anything visually, audio. Like, it's, it's, I mean, it's an amazing game in that. Um, It also has permadeath, which I am not a fan of. And that makes the game much more nerve-wracking. And if you don't know, permadeath uh, is like permanent death. Uh, This darkness creeps up on, uh, on me when, every time I fail or on her, every time I fail, and when it uh, reaches a certain point, which is her her head, her mind, uh, I lose all progress and have to start the game all over again. So not only am I, like, nerve-wracked, because I'm like, I can't fail, I can't fail, I can't fail, but then, like, it's just disturbing and off-putting and unsettling when, like, the voices come in and I can't trust what's going on in the game. I mean, the, the epitome of unreliable narrator, for God's sake. And... I've been using, uh, I started Persona 5, which is this huge anime RPG that's, like they said, it's like 200 hours of gameplay, but I'm assuming that's based on, like, branching storylines. I probably won't play it for 200 hours, but I've been using that, like, here and there for, like, you know, 15, 20 minutes, half an hour out of whack, just as, like, a palate cleanser when I play Hellblade and get to, like, a stopping point, Uh, because Hellblade is so... Intense. Um, I mean, I like I said, I feel it in my bones. I feel it in my heart, my soul. Um, playing that game, uh, like I said, it's nerve-wracking with just what's going on around you. And then knowing that I, I could like lose all my progress at p- pretty much any given moment. Um, but I do recommend the game. It is very good if it has that kind of effect on you. But like I said, um, if you do suffer from mental illness, I do not recommend it. Uh, as... Uh, yeah, it. it uh, I, I can see that posing as triggers um, for unfortunateness. Speaking of unfortunateness, uh, this happened, this got announced last week and it happened uh, after time of recording, but Alex Trebek having stage four pancreatic cancer. I'm a huge Jeopardy fan. I've been watching Jeopardy for years and years and decades. Um, usually it's part of my, you know, weekly routine Monday through Friday to eat dinner Uh, either before or after Jeopardy, and and watch Jeopardy. Um, And for Alex Trebek, who, I mean, admittedly is in his late 70s, but still, it sucks. He's kind of been a mainstay in my life for, I mean, he's been hosting Jeopardy for as long, almost as long as I've been alive. So for me, like physical memory, he's always hosted it. I've always known him as the host of Jeopardy. It's Alex Trebek. And I I couldn't watch it for a couple days, because I was like, oh man, it's so depressing. Uh, I don't want him to die, and like I said, I mean he's he's you know lived a full life. He's got kids and a beautiful wife, and all that. But like still, it, it, he's just he's 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 an icon to me. And to think of a world without him is is up there with uh, maybe just below uh, David Bowie and Stan Lee, and Hunter S. Thompson. Um, but I mean once again, just someone who's b- been in my life, been in my living room for decades. And to think of the thought of losing him is like it's it's an emotional thing, for me. So that's why I didn't start this episode off with a bummer like I did last week. Let's not let's the opposite of bummers. Um, and I, I know I talk about how I, I with shows I talk about premieres, mid season, and then finales. But man, I I just have to keep bringing it up. Uh, Doom Patrol is such a fantastic show, and how I've talked about how it doesn't shy away from the weirdness, and in that. I never thought I'd see this, and you know it's it's a bit you know parred down, but D- uh, Doom Patrol is adapting the Grant Morrison uh, cult of the unwritten book storyline from the comic, and I I never thought I'd see anything so fucking weird, you know the the Our Sisters of the Slashing Mercy or whatever they're called with the deformed, disfigured, forever young nuns with switch uh, straight razor hands and the unwritten book, and the stigmata wounds uh, on a Spanish priest that leads to the ghost city Nullheim. Like, I just, I never thought I'd see it, and speaking of things in that, I would never thought I'd see is uh, Kipling Willoughby, who is kind of a John Constantine analog, because basically the... uh, unwritten book storyline is kind of Grant Morrison both playing homage and kind of making fun of the pomposity of Alan Moore's, like, cult storyline from Swamp Thing, and while Grant Morrison couldn't use John Constantine, he created, um, Kipling Willoughby, Willoughby Kipling, I'm not quite sure which, uh, now that I start thinking about it, but, uh, amazingly played by, of all people, I never thought I'd see this, uh, theme in me watching uh, Doom Patrol, played by Mark Shepard, who um, played fuck some character, very popular character in Supernatural, I can't think of the character off the top of my head because I don't watch Supernatural, but uh, he also played Badger in Firefly and Serenity, he's been in a few other things, and he's an amazingly funny, talented British actor, highly recommend anything he does. But, um, having him play the kind of John Constantine analog, uh, Kipling was a masterstroke from DC casting, so thank you for that. And I can't wait to see the next episode, which will probably wrap up the unwritten book storyline, but, man, the fact that they're like, we're not even shying away from, like, the source material, like, it's not just like, oh, it's weird and we're gonna be weird, it's like, we're gonna do direct translations of the weirdest fucking storylines, um, and I've been rereading all of Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol, and I'm so looking forward to it, uh, to watching what Doom Patrol keeps doing next, because it does keep pushing the envelope of what I think they're going to do. And every time I think I got a beat on it, they change it up. Farting m- farting Donkey is just the perfect example for that. Speaking of exceeding expectations, Captain Marvel, Brie Larson, doing a great job. Ben Mendelssohn as Talos the Skrull, great job. Jude Law really bringing it as Jan Rag or Jan Rog, however, you say his Cree name. This is the last Marvel uh, entry before Avengers Endgame, and it has to kind of tie everything up, much like Avengers Endgame will for this quote unquote phase of the Marvel Universe before they go completely cosmic, uh, is what uh, I'm to understand. And it worked. Uh, the, you know, everyone's praising Brie Larson, which, I mean, she should be praised. Everyone's praising the, the effects, uh, the emotion, the D aged Nick Fury actually didn't look bad. I was very impressed. Is it an origin story? Yeah. Is it? I think they changed her origin story enough that I wasn't bored. It wasn't like Wonder Woman where I was like, yeah, nope, I get it. She's made of clay. Now she's a man's world. Uh, she bones Chris Pine and then Ares. Like, you know, to me that was paint by number. It's like Batman fighting the Joker in every first Batman movie, roughly. I mean, I know Dark Knight was the second entry in that, in the Nolan trilogy, so don't jump down my ass on that, or up my ass and down my throat. You know, just don't enter me at all about it. What a weird thing to say. I think Captain Marvel was a better solo female superhero movie than Wonder Woman, and I think that's because they changed enough for, for origin, they had... Enough of the groundwork built with all of the Marvel movies that you could just jump into Captain Marvel from the get-go. There was no, like, real-world building because they have been doing it for ten years. Um, was it fun seeing a bunch of shit from the 90s? Yeah. Is it interesting that, like, people watch it and go, what the fuck's a blockbuster? Yeah, that was depressing, uh, to people of a certain age. But, uh, yeah, I loved it. I highly recommend it. It's, uh proves to me it's just another thing on a long list of reasons why I shouldn't trust cats. Uh, you'll know that uh, when I see it, when you see it, uh, and there's no spoilers in that whatsoever. It's a spoiler-free thing on Captain Marvel. I'm not going to super get into it, but uh, I-, I recommend it. Uh, it's one of those I- I- I've got a friend who wants to guest on this podcast, and maybe we'll get more into it, uh, Captain Marvel, because I think he's going to go see it, and then I think we're going to figure out when to come on together and... We might get more into it with actual spoilers and give you guys a couple weeks, and ladies in Sunshine Gas Clouds and Martians and whoever else listens to this, possibly hyper-intelligent dogs and cats, uh, and uh, actually get into like a spoilerific um talk about Captain Marvel and probably all the Avengers stuff. Mm-hmm. Lastly, this is, speaking of spoilers, going to be spoiler-full f- of uh, the American God Season 2 premiere. Man, it, it's been years since the first season, and... They did not miss a beat coming back. I mean, once again, the sublime casting of Ian McShane as Mr. Wednesday and Orlando Jones as Mr. Nancy. I forgot Cloris Leachman was in it. Uh, Peter Stormer as Zarnabog. I mean, just fantastic casting, fantastic, fantastic actors, amazing storyline. The fact that the first season was really only about like the first like fourth of the book makes me happy because it's just it, they're gonna have multiple seasons before they even get to like the war probably won't even be to like the third season but this this episode was co-written by its creator Neil Gaiman and it's got his fingerprints all over it. Uh, just every one of Mr. Nancy's lines are pure Neil Gaiman. Uh, from, I've got a son so stupid, it's like he went to the stupid store on a two-for-one sale. That's a great line. When they get their, you know, cryptic fortunes from the, like, you know, fortune teller booth thing, like, in Big, and Shadow kind of looks at it like, this doesn't make any sense, and Mr. Nancy just goes, it's a motherfucking fortune from a fucking wax dummy. Dummy! Like, I loved it. Just that he is like, look, like... Your, your reluctance and your disbelief in all of this is ridiculous to me, and that's how I'm going to treat you. Like like just like you're a confused child, and he's frustrated that he's confused, and I love it. But it's also playful because it's a Nancy, the African trickster god. Um, am I excited for the rest of the season? Of course I am. Obviously, if I you know want to talk about it this much, uh, the fact that they killed Cloris Leachman's character was heart wrenching. Um, but once again it kind of gives well it doesn't, it it totally gives the justification for the old gods to go to war. They have a kind of their rallying point with this. And at one point, Mr. Wednesday is over her body and says, Is this what it takes? Is this what it takes? And in terms of that, he's he's not questioning he's not asking the other gods like, Is this what it takes? He's questioning his own plan and going, is this what it takes to start the war that will eventually benefit him? If you read the book, so spoiler on that one. Um, And you know that he's looking for power. He's looking for all of that from the first season when the new gods say, well, we'll launch a missile called Odin uh, to honor you and get you more power if that's what you want. And he's like, no, I can get more on my own and this is how. So, I mean, once again, the sublime acting of Crispin Glover as Mr. World. I cannot wait to see more of Gillian Anderson as media, because, man, she blew me away um, in the first season. She's such a a chameleon in this series um, that I'd never really seen her do before, and it's fantastic. I still have a crush on her, uh, and she's aged quite well, if I may be so rude. But other than that, uh, that is the vomitorium. Chunks and spoilers galore. So, from Nerd Vomit, I'm Doug, I'm a nerd, this has been my vomit, and I'm out, like a boner, in sweatpants. If you like this, check out some of our other shows, like Exotic Liability, No Applause, Just The Clap, and Black Falls, We can be found at www.bacnpodcast.com and by searching for The BACN on Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play.